5K every day in the month of May 2022 podcast. I'm Jeff Pullen, and this is day 17 of the challenge. Well, I'm sorry to say it, but the technology gremlins have struck again. I once heard, and I actually wrote in my book, Weekly Worship Thoughts, that when Satan fell from heaven, he landed on a soundboard. Sometimes I think that is true. Nevertheless, I do apologize for the strange cutouts in yesterday's podcast episode, and I will continue to try to get to the bottom of why that is happening. But I do appreciate your grace and hope that the technical issues have not completely ruined your podcast listening experience. We will just continue to plug away at running and or walking at least 3.1 miles every day, cranking out miles at whatever pace you choose. And while we're at it, we will continue to read through the Gospels at a rate of three chapters per day. Also, for anyone who loves to listen to this podcast through the Apple Podcast app, I promise I am working on figuring out whatever in the world is going wrong, but Apple's being... Anyway, today's Daily Fun Photo Challenge is to run or walk a route that creates an interesting shape on Strava and post a screenshot. I would love to see those screenshots populating the 5K Every Day in the Month of May Facebook group page. If my friend David Miller is out there and listening, I will look forward to seeing his epic run shape. He's always good for a great design. Let's see what kind of geometrically pleasing activities we can come up with today. To get you started, here's a song from Poland Band called You Alone Are God. I need to know that you still love me After all that I have done I'm so unfaithful But you are God and you are good And I put my hope in you God of all the universe The maker of heaven and of earth How infinite your wisdom And intimate your love For you so loved the world you have made You gave your only son to reveal grace God of the nations And somehow we heart You alone are God I need to remember that it's not about me It's all about your love and your grace and mercy For it's by grace that we've been saved So that no man can boast God of all the universe The maker of heaven and of earth how infinite your wisdom And intimate your love For you so loved the world you have made You gave your only son to reveal grace God of the nations And somehow we heart You alone are God 
heaven and of earth How infinite your wisdom And intimate your love But you so love the world you have made You gave your only son to reveal grace God of the nations And somehow we rehung You alone are comments left on the check-in number two blog post at www.jeffpullenmusic.com there are a lot of people still faithfully plugging away at the 5k every day in the month of may 2022 challenge great job to all of you as i was reading through the comments there was one question that i saw over and over again it was a question somewhat along the lines of what in the world is the 5k mayhem challenge i'm so glad you asked the 5k mayhem challenge is a bonus challenge that happens on the last saturday of may saturday may 28th after your legs are good and Sore from the rest of the month's activities. The 5K Mayhem Challenge is simple in format but incredibly difficult to complete. At 6.30 a.m., you go out and run and or walk a 5K. Your goal is to be finished with your 5K by 7.30 a.m. because at 7.30 a.m., you go out and run and or walk a 5K. Your goal is to be finished with your 5K by 8.30 a.m. because at 8.30 a.m., you go out and you run and or walk a 5K. Your goal is to be finished with your 5K by 9.30 a.m. because at 9.30 a.m., you... Well, you get the picture. This craziness continues every hour on the half hour for 12 hours or until 6.30. At 5.30 p.m., you go out and run and or walk a 5K with the goal of being finished by 6.30 p.m. because at 6.30 p.m., the challenge is officially over. Does this bonus challenge sound crazy? Well, yes, of course it's crazy. We are runners. What did you expect? But does this bonus challenge sound impossible? It's not. In fact, my middle daughter has completed this challenge twice now. Once as a 10-year-old, once as an 11-year-old, and this year she plans to complete it as a 12-year-old. Like Piper, I think you should at least attempt the challenge, or at least use that day as an opportunity to go further than you ever thought possible. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear from someone a little more convincing. Well, yesterday I was talking with Eden Poland, and that was a pretty fun interview. Today, I'm talking with another little Poland, but this time, not quite as little. I'm talking with Piper Poland. Piper, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Now, you are doing the 5K every day in the month of May challenge. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And how many years have you done the challenge? I've done the challenge for five years. That's amazing. How old are you? I'm 12. So you've been doing it since you were how old? Seven. That's amazing. What made you decide to do the 5K every day in the month of May challenge? Mom had done it, I think, like one year before. And then Taylor and Abigail, my older sisters, were doing it. And I thought it would be fun to join along. And was it fun? It was fun. Good. So you've been around. You've done this a few times. In fact, you don't just run or walk a 5K every day in the month of May. You've been doing this for many, many days in a row. How many days in a row have you run and or walk at least 3.1 miles? I think 746 now. <laughs> That's incredible. When do you plan to stop? What's your goal? Um, go until something comes up that I just can't go anymore. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good goal. 
Now, you've been doing this every day in May. You've been doing it throughout the year. I know a lot of people who've been doing this challenge are starting to get tired. They're starting to get sore. They're having a hard time keeping going. What kind of encouragement could you give to the people who are doing the 5K every day in the month of May 2022 challenge who are thinking, I just don't know if I can keep going or will the pain ever stop? Or maybe they're thinking, have I lost my mind? What kind of encouragement could you give them? Well, you're already halfway, so you might as well just keep on going. And um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Uh, We didn't have anybody fill out a liability form or anything, so I hope nobody dies. In fact, that should be one of the rules. Rule number one, don't die. I I agree with that. (laughs) Rule number two, have fun. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We have to revamp the rules. Now, one of the other things that I think is amazing is that this year you are planning on doing the 5K Mayhem Challenge. Is that correct? That is correct. And what is the 5K Mayhem Challenge? To the best of your ability, can you describe it to us? It is when you do a 5K every hour on the half hour for 12 hours, starting at 6.30 a.m. and ending at 6.30 p.m. And you have finished it in the past, is that correct? Yes, I have. How many times have you finished it? I've finished it twice. And you're planning to finish it again this year? Yes. All right, now I want you to talk to the people who are listening to this podcast who are on the fence, they're not sure if they want to try it or not, or maybe they're thinking, I want to try it, but I'm not sure if I can do it. What would you say to those people? Well, the first year when I did it, I was just trying to go like three laps and just to see how far I could make it. And I ended up making it like doing the whole thing. And so it's really fun just to see how far you can make it. And even if you don't make it that far, that's okay because you might make it further than you've ever gone before. And it's really, really cool to see how far you can make it. So I'd say just try it and see how many you can get. I think that is great advice, but I'm wondering about those people who are going for it, but then by the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth lap, it can get really, really difficult, not just physically, but mentally as well. What kind of advice as a two-time finisher of the 5K Mayhem Challenge can you give to those people who want to finish the challenge, they believe they can finish the challenge, but as they're doing it and they're in the middle of the challenge, they realize, oh, great googly moogly, this is harder than I thought. (laughs) Well, it definitely does get hard uh, in the middle. And so like by the sixth one, I'm usually like, wow, it's only halfway. I couldn't even really explain to you how the seventh, eighth and ninth feel because they just kind of happen somehow. And so once you get it past those, and then the 10th is super hard because it's like you could still drop out if you wanted to. But then by the 11th one, once you make it there, it's like I have to finish now. And then once you get to the 12th one, it's like super easy. So just keep going. And the people who, well, the first year we did this, We gave everybody who finished it Better Life Coffee, which I thought was awesome because I am a big time coffee drinker and I love Better Life Coffee, but you got a whole pack of Better Life Coffee. And uh, how old were you at the time? 10. 
<laughs> so you did not drink your batch of better life coffee. So now tell the people what they will receive if they finish the 5K Mayhem Epic Bonus Challenge. If you finish a 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge, you will receive a finisher badge. So if you finish a couple years, then you can keep a collection that you can just iron on to a shirt or something else that you want to iron it on to. And it will tell others that you completed the challenge and you also get lots of bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you think of the patch? Do you think that's a pretty cool prize? I think it's very, very cool. And I hope that I can collect lots of badges. Now, if that doesn't convince you to join us in the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge, I don't think anything will. Our Bible memory verse for this week is Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Let's go ahead and jump into our daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into water. He sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or, Stand up and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment, for then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. In the calling of the first disciples, we see five key character qualities in Simon Peter that I believe are quite commendable and worthy of applying to our own lives. Let's look at that passage again in full. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. That's Luke 5 verses 1 through 11. The first character quality that stands out to me here in this passage is availability. Simon made himself available to be used by Jesus. Some would say the best ability is availability. Simon's boat was on the shore and Jesus got into it asking Simon to put out a little from the land. And it would have been easy for Simon to say, hey, what are you doing? Get out of my boat. I got things to do. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm not going to let you use my boat to preach from. Get on out of here. But we don't see any of that. Instead, we see Simon making himself available to Jesus. Simon also made his boat available to Jesus. And then he made his schedule available to Jesus, sitting through an entire teaching while Jesus used his boat. Are we making ourselves available to the Lord, or are we too busy? When he tries to get our attention, do we respond by saying, Yes, Lord, I'm available? Or do we say, Not now, Lord, I'm kind of busy with my own things? The second character quality is faithfulness. 
Simon was not just sitting around doing nothing. He was a hard worker. By his own words, he told Jesus that he had been out all night fishing, which was his job, but he had caught nothing. And that is faithfulness. It is one thing to be out all night having success. It is a completely other thing to be out all night with zero success. It would have been easy to just throw in the towel, to call it a loss, and to try again later. But not Simon. He was faithful. He stayed at it all night, even though he had nothing to show for it. Are we being faithful with our time, with our relationships, with the work that the Lord has given us to do? The third character quality that I see here is teachability. This one is big. Remember that Jesus was a carpenter. What does a carpenter know about fishing? Simon, on the other hand, was a professional fisherman. He was a fisherman by trade. Still, Jesus, the carpenter, gives Simon, the fisherman, some fishing instructions. And Simon, amazingly, follows his instructions. He shows a tremendous amount of teachability in this exchange. To make matters worse, Simon had already started cleaning his nets from being out on the water all night long. I know how I feel when I'm cleaning something up and then someone asks me to get whatever I was cleaning back out. Not cool. But Simon Peter was willing to let all of his hard work of cleaning go to waste because the teacher was ready to teach and the student was willing to learn. Are we teachable like this? How do we respond to an interruption of our plans? Do we listen well with a teachable heart when someone tries to tell us how to do our job? Do we allow others to teach us new things, especially in areas that we thought we already knew a lot about? The fourth character quality that Simon Peter showed here was enthusiasm. It seemed that Simon did more than just go through the motions. He appears to have put his whole heart into the job that Jesus had given him to do. Suddenly the nets were full and he called to his partners to help. He was astonished by the miraculous catch. Do we display the same level of enthusiasm about the things that the Lord calls us to do? Do we argue with him and then finally, reluctantly, do the thing that we knew we should have done from the beginning? Do we just do it because we know it is the right thing to do, or do we allow ourselves to be excited about serving the Lord in whatever capacity he calls us to? Are we astonished by the work of the Lord in and through our lives? And finally, the fifth quality that Simon Peter displays here is responsiveness. He responds to the miraculous catch by dropping to his knees and telling Jesus to depart from him because he is a sinful man. What a heartfelt response. Jesus then tells Simon to not be afraid and tells him that from now on, Simon will be fishing for men. Simon responds again by leaving everything behind and following Jesus. Are we responsive? There is no question that God is at work in our lives. He is likely not asking us to drop physical nets into the water, but he is asking us to become fishers of men nevertheless. The Holy Spirit is convicting us and commanding us are we responding? Now let's put all of these character qualities together. Available, faithful, teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive. If you take the first letter of each word and put them all together, these five character qualities form the word after. Thinking of these five key qualities that way serves as a helpful reminder that God is looking for those who are after more. What does he see in us? Does he see in us someone who is unavailable, unfaithful, unteachable, apathetic, unresponsive? Or does he see in us someone who is truly after more? Chapter 6. 
One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a deformed hand, Come, stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. 
Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. I think it is important to notice that throughout his gospel, Luke is trying to help us understand who Jesus is. While Luke's gospel is presented in an orderly and chronological overall fashion, he is more concerned with giving an accurate overall big picture look at the character and the person of Jesus. Notice some of the beginning phrases of the different sections that we have read so far today. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's Luke 5, 1. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, that's Luke 5, 12. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, that's Luke 5, 17. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, that's Luke 6, 1. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, that's Luke 6, 6. And then in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, and that's Luke 6, 12. And it's almost funny that a guy like Luke, who is so particular and detailed, pays such little attention to what day or what city or what Sabbath he is referring to in these chapters. Why is this? Well, it's because what day or what city or what Sabbath is simply not the point. The point is this. Look at Jesus. Look at what he has done. Listen to what he has said. These are the important aspects. Masterfully, Luke wraps up these chapters that are outlining the character and the person of Jesus with these words from the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That's Luke 6, verses 46 through 49. Luke gives us snapshots of what Jesus is like, essentially telling us to look at Jesus. And then he reminds us that it is not enough to just look. 
At some point, we're going to have to decide what we are going to do with what we see. I love what C.S. Lewis said regarding this. He pointed out that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Jesus made some incredible claims. Even in these chapters, he is claiming divinity by forgiving sins. He is teaching as one with authority. He is claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. Now, either he is a liar and none of the things that he said are true. This would be a hard pill to swallow since so much of what he said has, in fact, been proven to be true. Or he is a lunatic who really believed what he said, even though he was insane and somehow ironically and luckily got much of it right, even while being out of his mind. Or he is the Lord. The final explanation is that he was completely honest and truthful about what he said that he really did have the power and the authority to forgive sins. But if this option is true, then we have to take an honest look at our lives and ask if he is talking directly to our hearts in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Chapter 7 When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. 
people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In the beginning of Luke 7, Jesus is approached by the elders of the Jews who wanted him to heal a centurion's servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. What a funny thing for the elders to say, he is worthy to have you do this for him. In other words, had he not loved Israel or built the synagogue, then it would be fine for his servant to die. But since there is something in it for us, you should heal this man's servant gross. But Jesus heals the centurion's servant and praises the centurion, not on account of what he has done for Israel or for the synagogue that he built, but because of his great faith. And Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house, and the centurion sent friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am under a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. That's Luke 7, verses 6 through 9. Jesus doesn't seem to think more of him or less of him based on anything that he had done for the Jews. He treated him as a human being worthy of his request simply because he was made in the image of God. Next, Jesus raised the deceased son of a widow from the dead. The woman had no status, no prominence in the eyes of the people around her. She didn't build a synagogue. She did have status in the eyes of Jesus. She was made in the image of God, and he cares for her. Jesus restored to her the most precious thing in her life, the life of this widow's only son. Next, Jesus sends a comforting message to a prisoner soon to die. This prisoner happened to be John the Baptist, a religious radical and outcast. Finally, the chapter ends with Jesus speaking significance, forgiveness, and peace into the life of a sinful woman who entered, apparently unwelcome, into the house of Simon, a Pharisee whom Jesus was eating with. Now, what do all of these stories have in common? Certainly not the social status of the individuals involved, and that is what is so beautiful about them. Jesus doesn't associate with you only if you are rich or poor or religious or non-religious or Republican or Democrat or Jewish or Roman or American or whatever. Jesus is awesome. How could you not love the one who loves you no matter who you are or what you have done? To send you out today, I want to leave you with that thought and with a song from If We that I think helps to remind us that our God is the God of exchanges. You took my emptiness You took my brokenness You took, you take it all You gave me healing You gave me Could I turn you?
from cursing, healing from hurting, your righteousness for my filthy rags, joy in the sorrow, strength for my weakness, peace that sustains through the struggle and pain, blessing from cursing, healing from hurting, your righteousness for my filthy rags, joy in the sorrow, strength for my weakness, peace that sustains through the struggle and pain, blessing from cursing, healing from hurting, your righteousness for my filthy rags, joy in the sorrow, strength for my weakness, peace that sustains through the struggle and pain. Blessing from cursing, healing from hurting, your righteousness from my faithful rags, joy in the sorrow, shine for my weakness, peace that sustains through the struggle and pain. Blessing from cursing, healing from hurting, your righteousness from my filthy rags, joy in the sorrow, strength for my weakness, peace that sustains through the struggle and pain.